Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready for some hot, steamy conversation? <laughs> I don't know about how steamy it is, but hot, yeah. <laughs> My mother and I had a fantastic relationship. This is Stephen, and I just want to share. Uh, yeah, I want to expound on that just quickly, because the real man... Good morning, and welcome to Coffee Talk. I'm Soy, host of the fastest-growing online talk show where we discuss real topics with real people in real situations. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the fastest-growing online talk show where real ha- talk happens every Saturday right here on Coffee Talk with Soy, your new morning show. So grab your favorite morning beverage, get it in hand, and get ready for some real talk. We have an awesome show for you today. Grab your paper pen, grab your uh, your your notebook, grab your iPad, grab something to take notes on, grab something to research um, so you can basically get online. You're going to want to have Google nearby, your smartphone, as I called it, because I definitely feel more intelligent with mine. But you want some resources next to you, ladies and gentlemen, as we share some very powerful dialogue and we talk about the issue, a very prominent epidemic that we're dealing with, breast cancer. As you know, this is October, and breast cancer is uh, breast cancer awareness month happens in October. And on behalf of that, we are going to be sharing dialogue from some women who are fighting and dealing with breast cancer, and they're going to be sharing their journey right here on the show with you today. So, if you have questions for these women uh, as they're speaking, uh, any point in the show, if you have a question, press one on your phone. We'll get you right in queue. We'll get your questions answered as best we could on the show today. Also, we're available by Facebook, so we we generally get Facebook questions. Uh, we generally get inbox questions. So, if, if you don't want to call in and you feel more comfortable using that platform, then send your questions that way. And more importantly, download the app. Yes, look for Coffee Talk with Soy in your app store, be it Google Play or iTunes. Find us there, Coffee Talk with Soy. Download the app. And here, how cool is this? Once you have the app downloaded, this is what I love about the app, you can send us messages through the app. So find us there. Send us messages through the app. So if you're driving, don't worry about trying to call in. Um, Just use the app and send us your messages on the app by using that software there called Voice Notes. All right, with that being said, I'm excited to introduce our guest who will be with us today. Show topic, If These Breasts Could Talk. So ladies, I ask you, if your breasts could talk, what would they say? What would they say? Would they tell you that periodically you should be checking you should look for me, check me out, be, be connected with what's going on with me, and, 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 and do your self-check to find, to see if there's a lump there. And if it is, you should follow protocol and get it checked out. Would they say, well, I have a lump. What's next? Do you keep me in that process? Do you delete me in that process? Well, the women on the show today are going to talk about the lumps, the bumps, the crying, the family support, the education, 
and everything they've been through in this process. So here we go. First, I'm going to introduce Angie Fletcher. Angie Fletcher is a native Chicagoan, and she was diagnosed May 23, 2012, with stage 1, Grade 3 breast cancer Let's welcome Angie Fletcher to the show Good morning Angie Good morning, good morning How are you? I'm doing great this morning Excited to be on the show I'm excited to have you I'm lucky, I'm really lucky to have you And I'm lucky to have (laughs) met you So I want to thank you for being on the show No, thank you for allowing me to come on And talk about my experience with breast cancer You know, I I find that what you are doing um, as you go through this is is amazing because when most people, well, some people, I'd say, uh, enter into a realm of of something that they've never experienced before, they're frightened, don't know what to do. And and having the power to talk about it is power. Most people can't talk about things that they're going through. So I, I, um, I, I... commend you on being able to do that, and I want to share that with with our listeners here today, and hopefully this, this dialogue would be a breakthrough for someone. That That's what we're hoping for. Okay. All right. The next caller we have on, on the show is Darius Jones Goodwin. She's also from Chicago. She was diagnosed April 14th with stage 2, grade 3, breast cancer. So let's welcome Darius Jones-Goodwin to the show. Good morning, lady. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Thanks again for being on the show. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. All right. So, Angie, so on May 23rd, 2012, you got the the most dreadful news you've probably ever heard or will want to hear is that you're diagnosed with cancer. Now, most times we hear that. It is generally preceded with a lump or a bump, and people find these lumps, and then they go and follow it up. So that didn't happen in your case. Is that correct? That is correct. That did not happen in my case. Yeah, so there was never a lump. So Angie is definitely an advocate for getting mammograms and having yourself checked out. So let's talk about how you became aware that that you had breast cancer. Um, After May the 17th, um, I had turned 40 years old, and I said, okay, 40 years old, normally you're supposed to start, you know, doing your mammogram. Um, but I went to the doctor. I made an appointment, I think the middle of April, and I just did my annual checkup, and my doctor said, well, you're turning 40 next month. Let's just schedule you for a mammogram. She wrote the prescription up, and April the 29th in my life, my son had passed away. And that was April the 29th. So I looked at that prescription on my drug book, and I said, I'm not going to deal with that now. I'm not going to deal with that now. Three weeks after everything, I looked at that prescription on my drug book, and I said, let me just take this prescription. Let me just go have this mammogram. Everything going to come back fine. I shouldn't even take it. It was so many times I just started to grab that paperwork and just ball it up and throw it in the garbage. Because, like I said, I felt no lump on my breast. My doctor felt no lump. So we just wanted to do the mammogram. So I went to the doctor May the 18th, and I took my mammogram. And the radiologist told me, she said, 
No, the ultrasound tech. She told me, she said, sometimes women, when they first do a mammogram, we have lumpy breasts. So they might see something and they might call you back, but it's just a machine acting up. So once I did the mammogram, I went home. Two days later, they called me and they said, well, Angie, we need to redo your mammogram. So I went back into the office and she said, well, we're going to redo these tests again. Once we redo these tests, we'll give you a call with your results. A day later, the doctor called me, and she said, well, Angela, we need to bring you in so we can do uh, an X-ray. So I said, okay, I can go back. We can do the X-ray. We did the X-ray, and she said, if we, while you're on the table, if we see anything, we're going to have to do a biopsy. So she still saw something there, and she started doing a measurement. So that's when I started getting concerned. Mm-hmm. And then the radiologist, I met the ultrasound lady came up in there. She did the biopsy. And I said, okay, this is getting serious. And she said, well, you should have your test results by noon. So May the 23rd came, and I was so nervous, and I called. She said, yeah, Angela, we have your test results, but we submitted them over to your primary doctor. Your primary doctor wanted to tell you. So I called my primary doctor. And the lab told me, oh, everything was fine. Everything, just repeat your mammogram in six months. So I said, oh, okay. So probably around 3 o'clock that evening, the other hospital called me back where I did the mammogram. And she told me, but Angela, how you doing? I said, everything's fine. I'm doing fine. I repeat my mammogram in six months. She said, no, Angela, I'm sorry. Your test results came back as positive as cancer. And I'm like, it has to be a mix-up somewhere. It has to be a mix-up. So she said, no, I'm sorry. They must give you the wrong information. Mm. She said, you have stage one, grade three. Point. I literally just dropped the phone and just started crying. Because when she said grade three, I know it's only four stages of cancer. I didn't know what grade three means. So I'm thinking, like, I'm, like, on my death stage, on my deathbed, because so many people have passed in my life of cancer, mm. my family. And she said, well, we're going to connect you with a surgeon, and we want you to see this surgeon. And keep in mind, it was a Friday, mm-hmm. and it was like 3.30 in the afternoon. So I called the surgeon, and I was crying. She said, well, you know what? I closed my doors at 4 o'clock. If you can get here, I'm going to keep my door open for you, and I just want to explain something so you can just get through the weekend. Mm-hmm. And when I went, I saw her. At 4.15, I made it to her office at 4.15, and she explained to me, you have stage one, but grade three, and grade three means it's aggressive, and we have to treat it aggressive. And I literally just cried. I couldn't, I blocked everything out. Only thing stuck in my mind, I have cancer, and I'm about to leave here. I just buried my son, and I have two more teenage daughters that they about to lose their mom. And I got through the weekend. And then I just started with my process. And she told me, if you give me your body for one year, she said, you will be okay. She said, commit your body to me for one year. She said, I don't care what you go through, but commit your body to me. And at that point, I didn't want to commit my body. I couldn't commit my body because I said, I was speaking, I started reading on the Internet, and the Internet was scared so much. 
and I started reading the treatments, and I started talking to a lot of people about the treatment, and she looked me in my face, and she said, breast cancer is the hardest chemo you can go through, but you have to fight it. You have to fight. And at that will, I, had a, I, didn't, I didn't want to fight because I just lost my son that was 21 years old. So the only thing I'm thinking about, I just want to go home with my son. Now, this is the way out. And I went to my church, and my church looked at me, and the ministers came beside me, my pastor in front beside me, and the whole congregation came to the front, and they prayed for me. And at that will, I said, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I have to fight this. And August, I didn't start my chemo until August because you had to go through surgery or a portic cap before that. Okay. So that was the background of it. <laughs> wow. And so initially you, you, you did not want to fight. You, you didn't believe that you can get through it initially. That was no. your initial re- Okay. I just thought, I just heard the word cancer, and so many people in my family <clears throat> passed from cancer. And my question was, how did I catch cancer? I didn't drink. I don't smoke. I don't let, allow nobody to smoke in my house. I eat right. How did I catch cancer? And she was like, Angela, do you want to do a gene mutation? I didn't know what that was. I didn't know nothing about cancer. I was embarrassed to tell people I had cancer because I thought it was some type of contagious disease. And she, I said, well, yeah, you can do the test. I didn't know what the test was. I just had Blue Cross Blue Shield. They just wanted to do taxes. And once later down the line, I found out that it was passed down to me through a gene. It runs in my family. And I, it was passed down through me in my bloodstream. And so once I found that out, I was, and when I had two daughters, 21 years old and 17, and they said, well, Angela, 90% chance you passed down that gene to one of your daughters. So now I know that it runs in a family, and I call it to a gene mutation mm-hmm. that I would have to get my daughter tested at the age of 25 years old. Wow. But the battle that was I had to go through, I never knew I would have to go through that, the side effects, the surgery, the the sickness, changing of your body. You have no control of your body. And I thought many, many times that I would make it through. It was someone it's like I didn't even want to wake up because I didn't know what that effect was going to take over my body today. And the energy level, you just slept, slept, slept. Only thing I did was sleep. So, but I kept saying, God, I don't know why I'm going through this, but if you bring me through this, I swear, I swear I will honor you. I swear I would tell people what you brought me through because at first I didn't want to tell my story. I didn't want nobody to know Angie had cancer. I didn't want nobody to know Angie was sick. And I said, you know what, I have to tell people. I have to tell people that they can beat this. I have to tell people that they can fight this, that this is not the end of their life. You might have a new life because cancer will forever change your life. But you can make it through, and you can beat it. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your diagnosis with us. Now, we we have a lot to tell to people. Hold on to your seats. We just um, heard from Angie Fletcher, who talked about her diagnosis period, 
and, and, and what happened. But before we move on to Darius and she tells um, tell us about her diagnosis, Angie, what happened with the primary care doctor? Did, did primary you ever care doctor. with them who, who, mis, who misinformed you? Did you ever follow up with them? How did that play out? Yes. I called her back that Monday, and I was speaking with my primary care doctor who I've been with for years. And she said, oh, Angela, I truly, truly apologize. She said, you call straight into the blood lab, the results, where you get your results. She said she was looking at some old results. She didn't see the new results in the system. She said, but I was going to personally give you a call and, you know, explain everything to you. And I was I was so angry that I had filed a complaint on her. Mm. And I was like, I could have lost my life. I could have lost my life if the, if the other doctor one never called me back. I could have actually just went on, and it could have just spread it, spread it, spread it. But they told me that I filed a complaint, and I was gonna bring a lawsuit against the doctor. Mm-hmm. But my primary doctor, when I spoke with a lawyer and everything, they said I didn't have no lawsuit against her because I was treated. But the director of the hospital did give me a call back. And they couldn't exactly tell me what happened with her because it was a privacy act, but they did ensure me that it would never happen to another patient. And they did ensure me that it was some action brought upon her, but they couldn't tell me exactly what happened with her. Okay. All right. Well, Darius Jones, good one. Ladies, yes, please ma'am. tell us what, what happened with you on April <clears throat> when you were diagnosed. Um, well, I, our stories are so different. I was just listening to Angie. Um, I've always had issues with my breath, even in my 20s. Um, I found lumps in my 20s and went to the doctors, did a lumpectomy. Everything was fine, benign. Um, fast forward to 35, my doctor, my OBGYN says we do baseline mammograms at 35. And well, I'm like, okay, fine. I, I can appreciate that did a mammogram, they saw something then, and they're called um, microcalcification, same breast um, as what I have cancer now. They did a biopsy, everything came back benign. That was in 2011. Well, um, I kept up with my mammograms behind that just because of the whole finding. In October of 2013, I had a mammogram, nothing was there. In January, I went to the doctor for a regular annual physical. She did her own hand exam. Nothing was there. In March of 2014, just, you know, something said to me, do a hand exam. Did a hand exam, and I felt a small little lump. And I'm like, wow, that wasn't there before. And I and I mean very, very small. And so it was so small, I wasn't sure if I actually felt it, but I did. And so after a couple of days of going around, it was still there, made an appointment with my doctor, and I told her, I said, hey, I found this lump. And so she, she searched around, and she, she's like, where, where is it? And I had to show her where it was. That's how small it was. She couldn't find it. Um, and she says, well, I don't think it's anything, but we're obligated. We've got to do a mammogram. Go in for the mammogram. And so now it begins. They do the mammogram. They make you wait while the radiologist looks at it. They come back out and they say, the radiologist wants an ultrasound. So they do an ultrasound of my breast. They do an ultrasound of my underarm. Um, They make you wait again, about 20 minutes it takes. And they come back and they say, 
they say the radiologist wants to speak to you. So it's a radiologist, um, another doctor, and a nurse comes in. And so when I saw the nurse come in, I'm like, this is not good. And so looking mm-hmm. at the, the images, the radiologist says, um, you see this little spot? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, do you know how big it is? And I said, I don't know how big it is. He said, it's about a centimeter and a half. And he said, it's giving us cause for concern because your lymph node is also enlarged and your lymph node is also about a centimeter and a half. And I'm like, okay, my knees are weak at this point. And so mm-hmm. he says, this looks like cancer. And he said, I cannot guarantee that. I cannot assure you that it isn't without doing a biopsy. And I'm like, okay. And so he says, we'll do it next week. I said, no, you'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> or no, I said, you'll do it today. It was a Thursday. Mm-hmm. He said, I can't do it today. I said, well, I'm not going home. And he says, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. I said, okay. I call my mom. I'm like, mom, you know, they said it looks like cancer. She's like, no, they don't know. They just let them do the biopsy. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Well, make a long story short, come in, they do the biopsy. And what my radiologist said to me is, he said, look, what we know is it is not normal breast tissue. We know that. He said, what we don't know is what, why it's not normal. He said, could it be cancer? He said, absolutely. He said, could it not be? He said, absolutely. So let's do the biopsy. That was on Friday, April the 11th. On Monday, April 14th, I got the call that um, I had cancer and that it was also in my lymph node. Mm. So um, from there, it's all of these tests and scans and yeah. appointments, and it's a whirlwind, you know. And they, they, yeah. the, first thing, the next, that very next day I met my surgeon, and um, I said to her when I walked in, I'm like, am I going to die? And she's like, yeah. not from this, you know. And I'm like, okay. okay. And so she's like, it's slow growing. It's not aggressive. You can get this. We can beat this. She said, it's going to be a year of trauma. It's going to be a year of problems. It's going to be a mm-hmm. year out of your life. But we got it. And so I'm like, okay, fine. I, You know, I never, um, I got scared. I obviously got scared, but I got scared out of fear for my life. Like, yeah. I have three daughters. I have very young, young daughters. My daughters are six, four, and two. I am 38. I am the exception to the rule. When you get breast cancer and you're under 40, there's the problem. And mm-hmm. so um, they went, it went from there. Um, I asked for a bilateral mastectomy. That's where they removed both breasts. Um, my initial surgeon told me, no, I got a new surgeon. Hmm. Um, I met my oncologist, and he suggested, hey, let's test you for genetic testing because here's the other thing. My mother is an ovarian cancer survivor, which you never hear mm-hmm. about. You don't hear about women surviving that, but she survives ovarian cancer. And so there's a link. What they, they tell us that there's a link between ovarian cancer and breast cancer. So I have the genetic testing done, the BRCA1 and 2. My BRCA1 came back negative, so my BRCA2 came back as a rare variant of unknown significance, meaning my gene mutation did something but they don't know what it means. They don't know mm-hmm. if it means that I am highly susceptible to cancer or maybe I'm not. So my family, my mother and my father right now, are going through testing themselves to kind of determine that gene mutation and what it means for our family. But in the meantime, in between time, my doctors are saying to me, well, you know what, we're going to treat it as though it's all I just finished mm-hmm. 
16 rounds of chemo. I had a medicine called AC, which they refer to as the red devil. And yes. I had another medicine <laughs> called, you know the red devil. I had another yes. medicine called uh, Taxol. So I literally yes. just finished October 2nd. And so I'm scheduled for surgery October 30th where I will undergo a bilateral mastectomy where they remove both of my breasts and an oophorectomy where they remove my ovaries and my fallopian tubes. And the mm-hmm. other part to that is, like, I think people don't really understand that there are so many types of breast cancer that you can have. There aren't necess- there's not one type. There's lobular. There's invasive. There is, you know, they pay attention to your receptors, what your estrogen and progesterone is doing in your body, mm-hmm. what your HER2 receptor is doing. So for me, my cancer was, is or was um, ER positive, which is estrogen positive and progesterone positive, and HER2 negative. But you can be HER2 positive. You can be triple negative. You know, there's yes. so many factors to breast cancer that, you know, we it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but I think the real awareness should be all of the various factors of breast cancer, not just breast cancer, because but you can't pigeonhole breast come into play with breast cancer that I, I just learned when I got diagnosed. And it's only, you know, same thing with, like Angie said, her church prayed for her. I went to my pastor and I said, hey, look, I don't care about bald heads. I don't care about being sick. I don't care about yeah. me. We're going to pray this up out of me because mm-hmm. I have so much I have to do. I got to raise these girls. I got to get them up. I got to get them off into the world. They need their mom. So mm-hmm. that's that's where we're at with it. And, you know, in the midst of the struggle, you know, I, his grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. I thank God that I'm able to talk to you today about it, that I have the strength and the wherewithal to say, this is what's going on with me. Let's, let's be advocates for ourselves. Let's do our hand exams, our stuff exams. Let's do our mammograms. Let's Let's go to our doctors and say, this is what we're going to do. Let's talk if about a doctor it. doesn't let's, do what you want them to do, get a new doctor. Let's, let's, yeah, let's mm-hmm. talk, it's interesting you said that, Darice, because one of the things that people often take for granted is the ability to be in tune with your body. And sometimes we kind of feel a sense of insecurity. We feel like we're inadequate because mm-hmm. we... We can't speak the language of of the doctors. And so a lot of times we go to them at the mercy of save me, save me, I don't want to die, do what you need to do. And then uh, at some point, because my battle wasn't breast cancer, it was blood cancer, but my initial thought process was that of the same. I don't want to die, save me, I have family, you know, I have a lot of responsibility like, I even felt like I don't even have time in my life for cancer. i got things to do. How long is this Absolutely. going to take? When is it going to be over? But in, in, mm-hmm. in, in that plea, in that plea for your life, you really relinquish all of the authority over, the, over to them because we feel like we don't know enough to speak up. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, one thing I had did, one thing I did when I was diagnosed, my surgeon first told me, she said, your lump is so little, I didn't even find no lump. They diagnosed me through my mammogram. She said, only thing we have to do is a lumpectomy. You don't even need to remove your breast. So I went mm. and did a lumpectomy, a lump, a lumpectomy on my left breast. And I said, once I do that, I'll be fine. I'm finished. I don't have to go through that chemo. 
but I never knew, no matter what stage you was, you diagnosed cancer stage one, two, three, or four, you still have to go through them three drugs, and you will still have to yeah. go through all the radiation and everything. And I said, so what was the purpose of having a lumpectomy? Now you're coming back telling me I have to have a double mastectomy. Now you have to tell me I need reconstruction. Now you tell me I need to have a hysterectomy. Oh, it was so you know, many surgeries. I didn't. You I know was what, so clueless. You know what? What I found is, and for me, is like the first thing they told me to stay off of Google. <laughs> they said no Google yeah. because Google will have you yeah. taking your casket out. <laughs> you yeah. will. You will go on Google and kill yourself. Like, I'm like, no. And I sure did. I thought right now. I thought right now my favorite songs. I want songs at my funeral. Uh-uh. I was reading Google and I was like, yes. oh my god. And yes. some days I thought I was not going to make it. That drug. Absolutely. Oh my god. That chemo drug is so harsh. And then she said, well, Angela, the only thing we doing is sitting here injecting poison in your body at once every three weeks. But Doris, I see that you took 16 rounds. I took six rounds. And only reason yeah. I took six rounds is because they gave me all three of my drugs at one time. And it's amazing and what, because, and that's, that's the thing I'm saying, is the, the cancer treatment is supposed to be a standard of care, but yet and still doctors and hospitals have their own version of what they think that standard of care is. Yes. And so when I say to people I had 16 rounds of chemo, they're like, oh, my God, why so mm-hmm. much? And I'm like, because I, in the end, they I, broke their medicine I, up. Yeah. They drew, my, they, draw, they drew it out, but I picked my treatment. And that was the thing that I was going to say, like, we have to be advocates. I, set, I, I, I Googled, and then my doctor finally told me he gave me a reputable website, and I went and I studied it. And then I wrote down all the questions that I had, and I wrote down um, things that I thought I should know, you know, from him, even though it, if it was something he thought I didn't need to know. I, it's like, no, you tell me anyway. And so from that I said, this is the treatment I want. Give it to me. And so even with the mm-hmm. AC, the, the Red Devil, they didn't want to give that Ooh. to me. Ooh, they gave me that. I had to have a heart test because it's known to cause congestive yes. heart failure. But what yes, I understood about the medicine is it works. So I'm like, give mm-hmm. me that. That's what I want. I want the medicine that you say works. And along with, along with which no one else really talks about, changing my diet, mm-hmm. exercising, yes. um, we, making life out of Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. But one thing I will advise, one thing I will advise, if anyone going through chemo, I would advise them to do their chemo the way Doris did her chemo. You know, the 16 rounds, because if mm-hmm. you take all three drugs at one time, it will knock you down. And yeah. I took it once every three weeks. Two weeks, it will knock you down. That third week, you're feeling a little bit better. You're able to get up out of bed and move around. But then you have to look up, and five days later, you're about to go through you this all over again. again. Absolutely. All over again. Well, and Angie, it was so the, hard. Don't you, think, don't you think it would depend on, like, the the aggressiveness of it? Let, let's say that 
someone could could stretch it out, you know, and and take a a a, a mild, well, it's not milder, but it it'll affect your body less. But wouldn't that depend on how aggressive it is? What if people don't have time? If you diagnose, no. if you diagnose with uh, cancer, you mm-hmm. still take yeah. the same three drugs. I don't care you if it's your first stage. I don't absolutely. care if it's your fourth stage. It's, okay. You take all three drugs. Everybody has to take them three drugs right there if it's breast cancer. Absolutely. Okay. So I was for in me, stage I had one. Take, right. Did you have lymph node activity, Angie? No. It didn't because I was, they caught mine very, very early. I didn't even have a lump. It did not spread to my lymph nodes, but they had to treat it aggressive with them three with so them three drugs. So here's the picture, Soy. Angie has stage one, no lymph node involvement. She has the same drugs I got. I have stage two, and the only reason I'm stage two is because I had lymph node involvement. Had I just had that centimeter and a half tumor, then I would be stage one. But because I mm-hmm. had lymph node involvement, I still got the same medicine. And so that's what I mean by a standard of care. They don't target mm-hmm. the cancer. The, they don't target your specific cancer. They target cancer. So I say yes. the same medicine I took is the same medicine who has cancer that has liver. Yes. I would say yes. the same drug. It's the same my auntie drug. Was stage, my auntie was stage 4 breast cancer at 29 years old. She had the same drug, and it spread it so much. It all through her lymph nodes. It was very, very bad. And they told her if it was a stage five, she would have been in stage five. And wow. And I was thinking, like, okay, when I was speaking with her, I said, well, hers was so severe. I said, mine's not that severe. I won't have to go through all that chemo. I had to go through the same chemo she went through. Same treatment, absolutely. Same Did treatment. Did she survive it? Oh, yeah. She survived it. She's here to this day. She's here to this day. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it was a battle. It was a battle. But she, and she used to always tell me, Angie, if you get up and if you go, she said, you have to keep fighting. It was some days when it came to my fourth treatment, I was so down. My body was so down. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do it no more. And I Cried. I sat in that parking lot, and my auntie called, and the doctor said to come out of the parking lot to get me. And he said, Angie, you have to keep going. I said, I cannot do this. Now, they got me on steroids. They have me in a wheelchair. My nails are totally black. My hair yeah. gone. No yeah. facial hair. Your nose hair even gone. Your hair is off your yeah. legs. Everything is totally gone. Funny. And I was like, I, I look like a monster. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. my grandbaby looked at me, and he was like, Grandma, what's wrong? I couldn't even open up my mouth and say, get him out of the room because I was too sick. And my joints hurt so bad, so bad that I couldn't even stand for nobody to get in the bed with me. Oh, someone walked me to the bathroom and put me in the bathtub because my joints hurt so bad. And magic constantly had to go through this, through this. And when they put that red devil inside of you, um, it just burned your whole nose, opened up your whole sinus. It's, it's, mm-hmm. You can't sugarcoat cancer, but it's you beatable. You fight like a it warrior. Is. That's why I always say you yeah. have to fight like a warrior. It's a battle you never fought it before. You never fought mm-hmm. it before. Yes. 
So I, I have mm-hmm. a we have a question for for you ladies through Facebook. Someone sent a question, which is, how do you how do you teach your family to give you positive support? There's a woman who's going through it now and. She's not getting the support she needs from her family. Maybe maybe they are, they're giving up. But her question is, how do you teach your family to give you positive support? Oh wow. Um, um, I don't, I don't know if that is necessarily teachable as far right. as like sitting someone down and saying you have to be positive. What happened for me was, um. Once I got over the initial shock and the initial fear, I said that, hey, this I have cancer, but it does not change who I am. So I'm going to remain the crazy, carefree, fun diaries that I am. And so when my family saw that I was okay and I wouldn't let anybody cry around me, we could talk about it. You can ask all the questions you want to ask. You can you, ask me. Let's, let's, I'm, I'm an open book. But we will not be sad about this. So I, I felt as long as I was upbeat and strong and capable that they would. They it's a mirror effect. What you see is what you get, and it, it should reflect back. So as long as I'm mm-hmm. positive, they'll be positive. As long as I'm happy, they should be happy. You can be worried about me, but be worried about about me in your space. Don't do that. Yeah. We're we're the same. We're going to be a family. We're going to be fun. We're going to be free. We're going to be. We can be prayerful together. But we are still living life the way we're supposed to. So that and mine's on the other hand. I'm sorry, Darius. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Okay, mine's on the other hand was different. My family wanted to support me, my mom and my sister, but they couldn't. They couldn't mm-hmm. see me. They couldn't see me like that. And my oldest daughter, that was 21, she was scheduled to go away for college, but she stayed at home. And my 17-year-old daughter, who plays tennis, she threw herself into tennis. And my oldest daughter just sat in her room the whole time. They wanted to support me, but my mom saw the pain that I was going through, and she couldn't. And every time she come around me, I could see it in her face. Mm-hmm. She'll come and she'll try to take care of me, but when she leaves the room, I know she's leaving the room crying. And mm-hmm. I couldn't be that uppy person that I, I used to be because I took my chemo way different than Darice did. And um but I had this one my significant other. He was that number one nurse for me, the very, very number one nurse and he was strong and long as he stayed positive, I stayed positive. And when I say there was no crying around me, it was a lot of crying because me myself, I'm crying because I'm dealing with the death of my son three weeks prior, and now I'm dealing with cancer. So my strength came from my son up above. And every mm. time I felt like I didn't want to go on, I could just hear my son, Mom, fight. Mom, fight. You can't come here with me. And I used to always see him so much, and he used to always come to me and say, Mom, you're doing good. You have to fight for Alicia and Alexis, they're my daughters. So when I say my family's strength, they came and visited me so much at the hospital, but you could just see them as I'm sleeping. They think I'm sleeping, and I could just hear them talking, and I could just hear my mom crying, and I could hear my sister outside in the hallway just crying. 
And I say that you really, really, really need that positive attitude around you. You really do. You need yeah. that positive family because at that point, you have no more control of your body, no more control Absolutely. of your body. There, there is. Uh, I, I would, I would, I would say that um, education and information generally will will empower you. Sometimes the family is crying and people are really falling apart because they like they they don't know. Some of us have never right. been exposed to this kind of ailment or sickness. So when you hear about it, yeah, in the past people have have not made it, and 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 through technology and the advancement of medicine. More and more people are, are are getting through it or learning to live with it, you know. So there there are fewer in number statistically where people are surviving um, different kinds of cancers that that they've been exposed to. But it's mm-hmm. the education and the information that empowers you. So people cry Absolutely. because they have no hope and they're afraid. They they are scared and they don't know what to do. But but reading. Um, Reading helps with that, and even like um, Derry said, you have a no cry zone. When when I went through it, um, one of my uh, my mom would tell me, "Okay, you got one hour, then that's it." Yeah, one hour cry, then that's it. Let's let's do something. That is it. Now that's what she would say. It's just like a one hour, and 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 that's it. And then you know, Mm -hmm. and then my children also adopted that kind of thing. Would they would they would say, um, you know, mom, stop crying, stop, you know, stop crying, you know. And but you know you do you 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 fear you know it's just so much fear and associated with it and 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 that I'm telling you when you say you have faith you don't know what faith is until you deal no. with something you yeah. know. <laughs> all you got yeah. is to believe know, that's honey. all you have is to Absolutely. believe that I, I, I'm a, I'm gonna come out of this but what the two of you women have done and I thought was just so it, is so amazing that I wanted to get you on the show and talk about it, is that you are able to get on Facebook, to get in front of people, and to tell your story in ways that I, I've never seen. And, and and the reason why I think it's a big deal is because really when when we go through things, people are like, don't talk about it, don't say anything about it. And and yes. and, and that and that's the whole premise of this right. show today is to be able to talk about things because people are suffering in silence with issues mm-hmm. that they don't have to. So tell me, how are you? How are you able to just talk about the details? Some of the details that people will feel are just embarrassing. What does it do for you to be able to talk about how you feel and how you cried and how you fell on the floor and just all those intricate? Follow these women on Facebook if you have not done so already. I'm telling you, the two of you should write a book. But Angie, you know, everybody, everybody, everybody yeah. telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> tell us how are you able to talk about this in such detail? And when you do, what does it do for you? When I talk about it in detail, to me, it feels a healing process for me. It's because every day your body going to remind you of you had cancer. I don't care if it's the scars. I don't care if it's a, a different side effect. You still feel it. Because even though when you finish with the chemo, you still have side effects from the chemo. And one thing we didn't hit on that I, did, I really want to touch, touch on is your immune system. When you're going through chemo, you have no immune system. Your body can't fight off nothing. A simple cold. You can't no one sneeze around you. 
because chemo is killing the good cells and the bad cells in your body. And mm-hmm. one thing I want to say is that you have to you have to stay indoors when you go into chemo, or if you have to go out, you have to wear a face mask because the simplest thing you will end up in the hospital. I was I took chemo for six weeks, and I think that was a matter of like two and a half months. I was literally in a hospital every week, at least twice a month. Three times a month I was in a hospital, literally, because I had no immune system. And then that infection was spread through my body. And my kids was isolated. They couldn't come in my room. And they was willing me to full-blown ultra body scan at 3 o'clock in the morning because they didn't think I was going to make it through the night because they knew I had infection somewhere, but they didn't know where the infection was coming from. When I say, when you talk about faith, when you talk about faith, one day I stayed in that in that hospital and I just literally prayed and I said, God, please bring me out of this. And they even had the doctors outside of my room doors because they didn't think I was going to make it throughout the night. So what I've been through, and because I didn't know anything about cancer, and I always said, if I could help another woman out, if I can let another woman know the details, what I've been through, and if I went through it, and I only weigh 120 pounds, 25 pounds, <laughs> if I went through it, I know you can get through it. And me talking about it, so much details on Facebook, is because I want to help somebody else out. Because I want to let another woman know it is hope. It is hope. Once you get through this ugly stage, it is hope. And they will be able to talk about it, too, because that's what my sister keeper. That's what it's all about, being my sister keeper. Thank you. Thank you, Angie, for that. Darius, what's your your motivation behind uh, talking about the details? Um, I come from a, a, uh, a black family where black families, especially in the past, were notorious for um, you know, don't talk yeah. about it. We don't want to know. Don't mm-hmm. say anything. It'll embarrass us. People will look at us funny. I come from that family, and my gut, my grandmother, Lord, I love her. She, she, she raised uh, her grand. She put that in her grandkids for the most part. But for me, I've always been a rebel rouser. I've always been the talkative one. I've always been the sharing mm-hmm. one. And so when I got diagnosed with cancer, it could not have. It couldn't be any different. I couldn't be quiet about it. It just wasn't, it was like um, Jeremiah in the Bible. It, it was just like this fire, shut up, in my bones. Mm-hmm. I can't be quiet. I have to mm-hmm. tell you because it amazed me that I was 38 and diagnosed with cancer. It amazed me that I did everything that they, they do. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I breastfed three children for a year each, and mm-hmm. I still got cancer. And so, you know, i I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe that there are things that they don't tell us that we should know. I believe that there are things yeah. that people just won't say. I don't believe that there is just, I don't believe that there is really a such a thing as free information. And so if I could, as Angie said, be my sister's keeper and say, hey, this is what happened to me. This is what, this is what I'm going through. Here's a heads up. Because yeah. if it could yeah. happen to me. It can happen to you. And that's not to say that it will, but when I got diagnosed and I started learning about all the women diagnosed with breast cancer 
and not just women, but black women, and not just black women, but black women under 40. It was like, what is happening? And so I, I don't want to be the one, you know, if I can have, if I have something that can help someone, I don't want to be the one that held it and didn't help. So I let it yeah. out, and that's, that was my thing. And the same thing, therapy, because every what I did was I started blogging every time I had a treatment. And so every time I had a treatment, I prayed to God and I said, hey, what do I have this week? What did I get this week? And every week something came. And so even now for the month of October, I'm writing something every day. And it's just coming to me because I feel like this is what they need to know. I feel like God has given it to me because this is what has to be known. This is what has to be said. Mm-hmm. And that's why I share it. That's a that's a major that's a major accountability you know to to take mm-hmm. on to feel that yeah you know I I, I must tell I I can't keep quiet about it I'm I'm going through this so that I, I'm I'm supposed to tell so that's that's amazing accountability especially for those who say oh well that's too detailed that's TMI you know she shouldn't yeah no it's not or no, or, or no, here's, it's here's, not. here's a, probably a more a more one you probably heard she just wants to get attention. Yes, honey. Yes, <laughs> honey. If I have to get breast cancer, and get attention. It's a problem. Yes, <laughs> yes. Nobody. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Like when Angie talks about the 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 fatigue. Here's what I'm gonna say. I never got sick from chemo. I never got wow. nauseous. I never vomited. Never. The only thing I had the made the most major happening I had was the fatigue, and so I would go to sleep. And it, it's difficult when you have three small children. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have a husband who helps out tremendously, but I am mom. You know what I mean? But chemo didn't chemo didn't treat me bad at all. And I don't. Mm-hmm. And I maybe because part of it was, you know, I I told God I said, hey, I'm not gonna be sick from this. I was able to work. I've worked every day except for the day I had chemo. If I oh, felt glory sick, I took to off. you. Yeah, but I'm, I'm still working. I'm, I went to work yesterday. I'll be at work on Tuesday. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> chemo didn't do me like that. Um, mm. But I will have a surgery that will keep me off of work for three months. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's by mm-hmm. the grace of God that it's me. You know what I mean? I feel like this this is God's favor on me. And, and I'm that example to say, this is how you go through chemo with God's favor on you. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. God will take care of you. Don't you know? Don't worry. God's got it. His grace is sufficient. And you want my auntie who was in stage four cancer? She did the exact same thing. She went to work, and yeah. she was she was barely sick through her chemo. And she told me she said my chemo was not bad like that, Angie. She said my radiation yeah. was bad. Some people say mm-hmm. chemo is worse than radiation. Some people say radiation worse than chemo. And I think Absolutely. I was at that where chemo was worse. Chemo, chemo was, was terrible to me. You know, it, it was not my friend. So <laughs> but radiation <laughs> was not bad. My radiation was not bad. And that's the part where she said her radiation was terrible. So, you know, it's different, you know, for different people. And then maybe because I was taking the three drugs and, you know, I was on mm-hmm. steroids, and you know, I was on a whole lot of more other medication. Yeah. So where where are you? Uh, now we know Darius is. Um, she's done with her chemo. She's getting ready for her surgery. She's gonna have 
you're going to have the the breast removed. And I take mm-hmm. it that you talk with with your family about it, and and you do mention that you have a husband. And how is he about the? Uh, once you have the breast removed, are you going to do some of the reconstructive surgery as well, or or what? What's your game yeah, plan as of now? You know what? I'm not a candidate for reconstruction because I have to um, have six weeks of radiation behind it. Um, yeah. But when mm-hmm. I when I opted for a mastectomy, my my initial game plan was to not get reconstruction anyway. I'm just not interested. Um, and surgery and being put under, and I've heard stories that the reconstruction is a little bit harder. So is a harder yes. surgery to recovery mm-hmm. from. To recover from. I spoke to my husband um, when we first met the surgeon. Before we went to the doctor, he says, "What's the game plan?" And I told him, "I said I need you to be okay with me going in and saying take them off." And so his thing is, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. He's been so super supportive. He's so super supportive. I, I could clone him, I would, and hand him out to everybody yeah. who needs <laughs> <laughs> I would. He, he's been really good about it. My daughters are a little different um, because they're so young. Um, they they see mom with no hair, and I just explained to them when I first got diagnosed that, hey, there's something in mom's body that needs to come out. It's, I'm going to take medicine the only thing it's going to do is take my hair out. I have not thought about what I'm going to say when I come home without my breath. So mm-hmm. it, I have yet to broach that. I'm praying about it, and though. We'll see. The double mastectomy, um, I went through my double mastectomy, and I went through reconstruction. And if me, if I could tell anybody, I wouldn't do the reconstruction. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what I know now. And when I did my double mastectomy, I went in at 8 o'clock in the morning. I didn't come out till 9 o'clock that night. That long, I was under anesthesia. And once they removed the breast, the reconstruction surgeon came in right after that. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking, like, I'm going to wake up with breast. I still woke up with no breast. Mm-hmm. And right after that, in me, that I had to go every week, every two weeks and constantly get it blowed up with saline. And once mm. it stretched my skin out, now I have to go for another surgery, another surgery to take these balloons out and then put my silicone in, which that was not explained to me. So like Dari said, it's a lot of stuff they do not tell you. And they left you, I mean, they leave you with scars everywhere. They leave you with no nipples. It's just a yep. lot of TMI, you know, yep. that Absolutely. that they do not tell you. They do not tell you. So I would say that if I could tell anybody, if you go for the double mastectomy, I wouldn't go for the reconstruction. I, I would not go for the reconstruction. And then still you have them up here and you have no filling. So what's the use of having just something sitting here and you still can't fill it? I mean, you can come slice me in my chest with a knife. I would never feel. I would never know you cut me. Because they remove all the nerves, all the muscles. They remove yeah. everything from up there. Absolutely. So, and they say you want to be more so, you still want to feel like a woman when you put on your shirts. But they have bras for that. They sell that at Victoria's Secret. There's so many things that you can buy besides, you know, the, the silicone sitting up here. And 
I say that if I can get them out, I will go remove them in a heartbeat. Really? Wow. So in hindsight, knowing what you know now, you would have made some different decisions. Oh, is yeah. It, is that only just about the reconstruction or just about some other things in the process as well? It's about a whole lot of more stuff in the process. And that's why I speak out. That's one of the reasons I speak out. And I started to write a book. I wanted to write a book and say the stuff they don't tell you about cancer. That was the title of my book. And I just wanted to just start writing and writing and writing. Yeah. But then that's what made me start writing on Facebook because it was a healing process to me. And then it was just so many things, so many details that they do not tell you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There is, and in hindsight, although you've not made it as far in the process, but you are healing. Thank God for that. Is there anything that that you feel that um, you would have done differently, knowing what you know now? Um, you know, the unfortunate thing is uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, and um, if if there was anything I could do different, obviously I just would not get cancer, but. There's no way of knowing. <laughs> you know, but, right. But um, I will say this, um, just for future knowledge and for me and for everyone, breast cancer in the breast will never kill you. If breast cancer yeah. stayed in your breast for 20, 30, 40 years, you would live a long, healthy life. You would not die from breast cancer. Um, for me, I just want people to be aware, especially because we're in the month of October and it's breast cancer awareness month, that breast cancer is more than pink ribbons, it's more than car to tail, the cow, it's more than a whole lot of other things. There, I'm stage two, Angie is stage one. We have what they call early detection. We're okay, you know, but there are women who are living with this disease who are stage four who have a virtual expiration date. And although no one knows what that is, no one talks about these women. And so my wish is that, in hindsight, that women be bigger advocates for themselves um, when they go to the doctor, when they're administered medicine, when they are they're taking tests, and just realize that you are in control and that what you do now may very well affect what happens with your body in the future. Mm-hmm. So let's let's be advocates. Let's take better care of ourselves. Let's exercise. Let's eat right, let's get outside, let's do things, get some fresh air, get the sun. Because breast cancer is so diabolical, it's so divisive, you just don't know what it's going to do. And it doesn't follow a set pattern. So there's no way of knowing if I'm going to start out at stage two and in 20 years wind up stage four. There's no rhyme or reason behind it. And so, like, let's just take better care of ourselves. Let's, Let's try... Let's figure out a way to prevent it. If we can't obliterate it from a society, let's prevent it. And get our okay. mammogram. Get your mammogram. Get your mammogram. <laughs> definitely, Angie. Get your get mammogram. Your mammograms. Yeah, you can do the self-check. Mm-hmm. But definitely get your mammogram. And, 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 and spend time engaging in conversation, especially with your family members who, who have different kinds of cancer, especially breast cancer, and find out, you know, who they are. And, and so that you can prepare yourself, because early diagnosis is definitely the key. Well, thank you, ladies, for sharing. Thank you so much for being
website, become a fan of the group on Facebook, and more importantly, download the app. Have a great week. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.